pushing the boundaries of educational possibility. Kia ora, talofalawa. Chrissy Butler here from Core Education, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. John Fennerty, who's my colleague here at Core. We're going to have a little chat about how lots of schools are kind of embracing BYOD and there's lots more technology in schools. But we really want to talk about what's happening, what schools need to be thinking about around keeping kids safe, but especially around bullying. So, John, it's great that you're here too. The last couple of years, you did some research around the impacts of cyberbullying on youth and health and well-being. So what might be some of the things that schools need to be to be thinking about now? Like some schools will have policies around BYOD already, but what, what are the new things people need to be thinking about? It's a really fascinating time as BYOD rolls out to more and more schools. And it really, it's a powerful moment really for schools to consider what are we doing to manage bullying? What are we doing to manage cyberbullying? So I think it's a really neat opportunity. So first off, yay, yay for BYOD. Cool. Us getting the chance to think about what this means for bullying and for cyberbullying. One of the, the critical things that that I'm aware of in the discussion around cyberbullying is is often the challenge is made that we just need to take people away from the technology if they misuse it. Yeah. And that's something that that people frequently sort of point out. And it's something I think that family Fano often worry about um, because mainstream media does emphasize some of the negative aspects of BYOD devices, including the opportunity to be cyberbullied. Okay. So the one of the things that came through in my research is around the critical role that the internet plays and how children and young people develop. And that sort of comes from one of the key tenets of adolescent development, which talks about when you're an adolescent, one of the key tasks that you do is you develop a sense of identity. It's not to say that you don't do that, obviously, throughout the whole of your life, and you don't necessarily not do it before adolescence, but it's something that is critical in those kind of late primary school and secondary school years, that that's what you'll be doing. Okay. And one of the key ways that you do that is in relationship with others. It's by me being in a relationship with you, and I get to find out that you know, your favourite food is thin crust pizza, that I get to reflect on what is my favourite food. Yeah. And actually, I'm not really so fond of thin crust pizza. Chocolate mousse is totally where I'm at. But that all sounds a little bit kind of tangential. But the point is that now for young people, the internet mediates those kinds of conversations. Okay. It's where I find out a lot about who I am and how I'm going to present my various ways of identifying to people in my social world so and that's important because I get feedback from those people I get people saying oh yeah I'm totally also a chocolate mousse fan or I actually I'm more like Chrissy on this regard and it's how I learn about the world and how I develop which is a critical part of my growth yeah as a human being you know and so that is a primary context that we need to I think really fundamentally appreciate when we think about BYOD, because that also emphasises that this technology is going to happen in schools where BYOD is only being rolled out in year nine. It's yeah. happening in years 10, 11, 12, 13. Digital devices are used by 
the absolute majority of all young people to the point where I'm comfortable talking about it as a normative part of of the development of young people. So that's sort of a roundabout we sort of talk about how significant this stuff is in the BYOD space. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean even quite recently or maybe even still happens the you know kind of lock up the cell phones or schools banning cell phones and families as well it's like let's cut off the internet as a way of managing I guess it's some sense of control but this idea that young people children will be separated from that from technology and communicating with each other is kind of I mean basically if they've got any kind of connection that that's going to be continuing yeah absolutely and that sense of there you know when you touch on that protection stuff it talks to some of the things we've talked to talked about earlier yeah in terms of that the desire comes from a good place in terms of we're trying to protect young people mm. by removing fr- them from their technology but unfortunately we unintentionally remove them from their social support networks as well so in a situation where they are being uh, when they are experiencing bullying they're actually, by taking them away from the technology, we also take them away from those social supports that are there for them and those other ways of, in which their identity can still be affirmed through the internet, through a particular friend or cousins who may be around. So that thrust then talks to that shift away from cyber safety that we've seen into focusing on digital citizenship. And that's the bit that I think has, is really exciting because it does reframe things as moving away from it's all about managing deficits and challenges to this is about taking a strengths-based approach to, to acknowledging that there are challenges on the internet and our role as family whānau, educators, schools hapu iwi is to support young people to rise to and manage these challenges because they exist and my role at NetSafe I was frequently you know stunned by the fact that a lot of the cyberbullying we dealt with was for adults so we we think about this frequently as a as a youth issue but Digital technologies create a, a digital world in which we as adults also participate. And bullying still obviously and aggressive acts still occur for adults. So this shift away from cyber safety to digital citizenship, s- focusing on key competencies and skills, a really powerful opportunity to kind of equip young people with A, the skills to manage these challenges and B, the dispositions to be respectful and responsible citizens in a digital space and not harm others intentionally or unintentionally. Cool. Could you maybe take a little bit about that shift from we kind of have talked about cyberbullying as separate from bullying and now certainly in the the Ministry of Education's recent bullying guidelines that distinction is is kind of disappearing Mm, absolutely it's a really important point actually that for a long time probably for a decade or so cyberbullying has been framed as distinct from bullying partly because of the rise of new technologies the fact that this is a totally new environment and we're seeing these new 
new behaviours on this environment. But the reality is that now we understand that cyberbullying is bullying, of course. And as the digital environment has become part of our offline environment, the distinctions between the two are no longer nicely cut and dried. And so when we talk about bullying now, for me, we're talking about cyberbullying. And we talk about cyberbullying, we're talking about bullying. The two are interrelated. There's very there's a very strong likelihood that you'll be, if you're experiencing bullying, that you'll probably know that person in your offline world. Although there can be totally anonymous people who will harass others online. Okay. The motivations for bullying normally require a relationship um, for you to wish to harm someone. The whole point of bullying, this took me a while to get my head around actually, but is to harm someone. That is the, the aim of bullying. It's not, um, and you harm, and you want to see some of that harm. If, if that's your, if that's what you're trying to do, then then harming someone that you know offline is probably how you're going to do that. And you'll use whatever mechanisms you can muster to to produce that harm. Okay, so if we think about that in terms of, you know, for a school moving to BYOD, um, so a huge increase in students' access to technologies. And if schools really want to make sure that they're doing everything that they can to make this the best experience possible for all students. Maybe what are, what are the kinds of things, um, what are the key things that schools can do? Mm, it's such a neat question because it, it's something that really gets me going because there are things that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. I've worked with loads of schools, loads of principals, loads of senior management teams who are often often really confused and conflicted about what they can do. Obviously, the bullying prevention guidelines produced by the ministry are a fantastic resource to use. They produced by, I think, a consortium of over a dozen organisations and key thought leaders in bullying. So that's really the first place, first port of call to get a, a really brilliant, concise um, take on it. The summary from my perspective is on that is that taking a whole school approach yeah. is a is critical to any effective anti-bullying intervention, and that reflects some of the change in thinking about bullying. We traditionally thought about bullying as an individual problem. There were people who did bullying behaviours, okay, and then we we kind of individualized the problem onto them. So we had bullies and then we necessarily had victims. And so bullying, the problem of bullying sat with particular people in schools who were classed as deficient in some way. A social ecological model of bullying has really fundamentally reframed bullying as a set of behaviors. So I no longer talk about bullies or victims. I talk about people who do bullying behaviours and people who experience bullying. Okay, yeah. Because that frames bullying as behaviour and the thing about behaviours is that they happen in contexts and in environments. And so the power of a whole school approach is that a whole school approach is required to change the environment. Once we change the environment of a school, 
to make it so that bullying behaviours are no longer possible. Yep. We produce the end of bullying. We reduce people being labelled as bullies and as victims. And that's a critical bit. The way that we then go about doing that is to ensure that everyone in the school has a clear shared understanding about what bullying means in that school community and that that can actually be a harder task than it sounds um, because frequently when we talk about bullying it's actually a technical term and we use it so much in our everyday language that we sometimes miss some of the we don't use it precisely in the way that it's intended that's to say that all of the bullying research which we'll talk about what bullying can produce for young people is premised on the idea that bullying is three things. It's repeated, so it's not a one-off fight or aggressive incident. It's produced in a power imbalance, so it's produced in a situation where someone has more power than another person, so they might be more socially kind of competent, yep. they may have more social friends, they may be more academically able, they may be more, more physically able. Whatever relevant dimension, there is a power imbalance involved in the aggression. And the third element that's critical in bullying is that there's an intention to harm someone. So bullying is about harming someone and making sure you do that. It's not bullying if you unintentionally hurt someone's feelings repeatedly. That's probably slightly clumsy behaviour, um, but it's not bullying. So so A, understanding that bullying isn't this whole raft of, of kind of aggression that schools face. It's actually quite a specific subset and quite a small subset of the, the aggression that, that schools will see actually makes this issue much more positive and, and easier to deal with. And equally, that really sharpens the need for us to do something about this particular set of aggressive behaviours because they are associated with a number of very significant negative outcomes for young people that can be prevented. Okay. One of the things that we were talking about earlier was just in terms of this whole school approach. What could be associated with that is very much a kind of almost like a one-size-fits-all approach to okay we've got this policy and we're going to roll out these lessons or these particular activities to everybody or certain things for certain year year groups and then at the moment I'm involved in a in a piece of work with the Ministry of Ed looking at those bullying guidelines and actually trying to illustrate them so what would be so looking at and trying to pull together different students' experiences of what it's like to, to find yourself in a situation where you maybe experience bullying, but also where, you found, where you've actually been bullying yourself. Um, and just a kind of a more inclusive approach to that storytelling. So for example, maybe for a student with Down syndrome who is active on Facebook, their experience of, of being on Facebook may be that actually some of the comments or conversations that they're in, um, you know, there may be, people may be actually be getting at them or their friends on Facebook may actually be having a laugh at their expense, but they don't actually realise because 
in a characteristic of of Down syndrome is to um, to think well of the people that you're going to interact with and bringing out into the open actually different experiences of students um, and also for for a student that sees that kind of bullying behaviour online, suddenly what do you do? Mm. What do you do if you see your colleague or your? Sh- or what do you do if you see a student in your class who has Down syndrome, who's being got out on Facebook? Actually, what do you do? Do you talk to the student? Do you talk to the teacher? Mm. Um, and another example that's come out really strongly and um, there's, there's some great support information online is around students with ASD. There's a great resource um, from the UK, uh, childnet.com, that has a whole range of supporting resources that are actually kind of symbolic representations rather than text and stuff like that. How do you know when someone's, when bullying behaviour is coming at you? And also that the way you behave can actually be be misrepresented because you, you come across as very direct and actually a person on the other end of Facebook or in a Skype conversation or texting actually thinks that they're being attacked. Mm-hmm. The conversation in schools and schools with students actually seeking those diverse perspectives. So John, for you, like in maybe in other areas around gender, mm-hmm. that space, what, what's your experience in that space? Just picking up on what you've said though in that other bit, what's so critical about an effective whole school approach to is you're right it needs to include include the whole school in yeah. the approach and and that's something that's enormously exciting and transformative and involves young people's voice as critical players in the mix all young people including those with specific needs and then within a whole school approach what's what's also critical and and drawing on some of the curriculum focus is empowering people to be responsible citizens in that school yeah totally and to say actually in my school we know what bullying is we know when we know what it looks like yeah and we know that it's not acceptable in the school and we're going to do something about it we know that the teachers that we share this information with are going to know how to handle it appropriately we're not going to be put in some ridiculous situation where we are thrust into a room with someone who's doing bullying behaviours and told just to sort it out or the processes in the school are going to be effective to give people confidence people have ownership and pride in their school about what it what it means to be at the school you'd ultimately also want everyone in the school to understand that actually with people with specific needs particularly around ASD for instance that some of the behaviours may come across as bullying but aren't necessarily bullying yeah, because totally. they don't meet that criteria of intending to harm someone else. Yeah. And that's one of those really powerful things I think about the PB4L program or any bullying intervention that also addresses conflict management skills yep. and social development skills because that's something that is also critical. You can The way that a school environment is set up... Um, also can produce bullying in more subtle ways. If there are particularly competitive elements in a school culture that get established, that create additional opportunities for power hierarchies in schools, that's particularly, that's going to be a a pressure point for bullying. And equally, if 
if learners in the school community aren't well equipped to manage conflict well, there are going to be situations where there are always difficult people in our lives and we experience them as adults as well as young people. This is a perfect opportunity to give young people those skills to manage situations that will be challenging, not necessarily because it's the fault of the particular person doing it. That may actually be an aspect of their identity that is unchangeable. Yeah. And it's really then our responsibility to accept their identities and to work with them because that's one of the things we value in future-focused education is diversity. And diversity means everyone. It doesn't mean just the people that we particularly would prefer we, we are diverse with, but all learners and everyone's particular identities. And identity is something that is immutable. You can't change it. Yeah. And I think that's critical. And so then when we think about a project that I've been working on with the Ministry of Social Development and Rainbow Youth has been exploring how norms around gender and sexuality create a, a particular set of environments and schools that place people outside of the norm and therefore risk them being prejudiced for not not taking the party line on what gender is supposed to be, not doing masculinity in the correct way or not necessarily doing masculinity or femininity but doing a combination of the two or neither. Um, All of these aspects are really challenging and really emphasise the value of creating critical discussion and taking whatever opportunities you can in school to critically think about what norms are operating in my school, in my classroom, in my family, about everything. And in particular, which norms are producing negative outcomes for some people and some identities in my school and in my classroom. And that's really powerful because if we have those assumptions that actually everyone is going to be attracted to the opposite sex or everyone is going to be the same gender as their sexual designation or everyone is going to have a binary sexual designation. Yep. We, disag- we fundamentally ignore intersex identities. Yep. We really risk you know, alienating significant people and producing an environment which at the very least, does not give them a space to be included and supported, and at the worst, creates an environment where they will be actively prejudiced and biased against by the systems and structures of the school. So that's that point when that bullying behaviour can really kind of pop out of the woodwork because you've created that environment that that is conducive to it happening. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the bit that took me a while to understand because I can get quite purist in, in my kind of theories and frameworks. But one of the, the thrusts that I, I really came to realise in this is that that the, the prejudices and biases that live in our schools and live in our society create the social norms in which power is produced in school yeah and so that power bit that then comes in again and so if you're in a school where you think it's perfectly obscene that someone would have a relationship with someone of the same gender or that someone would want to change their gender or may not fit into a binary sense of gender 
of course you're going to feel quite comfortable repeatedly harassing that person because for you that is just purely abhorrent. Yeah. That's almost that kind of, oh, they bring it on themselves kind of exactly. kind of scenario, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that we commit to to diversity but that, that and to acknowledging that everybody's different, but that actively seeking diverse perspectives, actually what does this look and feel like in somebody else's shoes? To me, that's a really key thing that schools can do. Um, and to look at... And often, if you find yourself in a min- minority or an, or an a margin, you your experience of sharing your voice is generally not very positive. So I think schools, um, everything that we can learn together about removing barriers from kids sharing their voices and creating opportunities that really support that engagement and those different perspectives is key to some integrity around a whole school approach. Mm. Entirely. Yeah. One last thing, too, that I want to just emphasise. When schools set up particular norms and support particular norms, it's, it also puts everyone in that school in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. Because it's those norms that create me as someone who will be prejudiced against someone else. And that limits my ability to get the most out of my schooling and out of my schooling environment. And it also creates a very negative experience of the world you know to to realize actually that you know there are only particular things that you can be or do regardless of whether or not they actually harm someone because so many of these norms don't actually harm someone Mm. things that we've inherited from times gone by you know and I'm curious about some of those norms that exist around learners with specific needs and how they create an environment in schools which isn't conducive to all learners either. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a really good point. Something that I've seen in some schools where they're looking at policies around BYOD is some schools may have what's called a special education unit or a learning support unit, and it's they're kind of exempt from kind of learning around the students in in there and also the staff associated and that support those students actually are not part of the same professional learning that everybody else is. So just kind of bringing that into the open and actually talking about that and also talking about our expectations of in our heads as teachers, are there some students that we think, oh, actually that student will never participate on Facebook because they don't have the ability or the capacity to do that. And actually exploring some of that thinking, it's what our expectations of students, actually what do we know about students' lives outside of school, mm-hmm. and connecting really closely with parents and whanau around actually what does happen at home, mm. and bringing that conversation into the mix. One of the things that's really important for learners with specific needs too is that the internet and mobile phones and that communication may play an even more significant role. Absolutely. Because like all, when you're in a community that is marginalised or where you're not part of the dominant cultural group, you need to go, you need to actively seek out your community. And the internet provides an incredible opportunity for those in marginalised communities and the non-dominant communities to find Others who share their voice, who agitate for what their important yeah. you know, t- 
for agitate others who agitate for what's important to them and their identities. And yeah. so that's a that's a critical part of this pie when we think about learners with specific needs. And Chrissy, just before we sign off, mentioned an example about learner with Down syndrome yep. and their experiences. I didn't feel that we covered that off well enough. Can you just talk a little bit more about that and we could finish up that part of that conversation? Okay. Like this huge diversity in the classroom and students with all sorts of that ex- that experience learning in different ways and so something like down syndrome a characteristic of a characteristic of that is that you can see the world um kind of a, that people will respond to you po- positively that's kind of like your default and so online trying to read what's happening um you know being aware that there may be someone's um getting at you or you're the butt of somebody's joke as the child with down syndrome or the young person with down syndrome you may not be aware of that or you may have kind of an uncomfortable feeling something's not quite right Mm. or as another student in the class you may see that happening on Facebook and so actually bringing examples like that into the classroom and talking about it specifically Mm. so not just talking to the student with down syndrome but actually talking to everybody in the class and looking at what can you do, looking at examples of, you know, when you make a comment like this, what what do we think? How will that be taken out of context? So it's not like that there's like this magical resource that you're just going to give to your student with Down syndrome or give to your class. It's actually about facilitating a conversation. There are some fantastic resources online. So childnet.com has a great resource, particularly for for students focused on supporting students with ASD. That's got some great examples of ways that that students could use to help them recognise their own behaviour and and that of others. Mm -hmm. So that's using, like, they're called board maker symbols. So it's kind of symbolic representation with pictures. The, The thing is actually to actually use those resources and offer them to all the students in the classroom because that use of visual image is can be really powerful for everybody. Lots of the kind of cyber safety, digital citizenship uh, material is either in text or it's in kind of fast-paced video that's kind of a bit hip. Um, and actually finding other ways to facilitate conversations, so supporting with text, supporting discussions, Graph, really simple graphic material, and not just with young students. It's it's actually that c- like co-constructing with students ways that they can manage themselves and how they can support others, and also looking at what I think a really specific thing for students who who experience learning in different ways is you know what are their barriers to actually saying how they're feeling um, because some of us can just blurt out what, what we think but f- but for others saying s- that um, orally is really is really difficult mm. so in schools looking at ways that maybe students can communicate actually I've got something's not okay here how can I how can I tell you that that is just so inspiring and helpful because what you've done is really emphasize the you know the 
the principles of UDL. Yes, yes, absolutely that. That actually, you know, we can use resources to benefit everyone in the same way with the te kotahitanga kind of approach. Absolutely. And you've emphasised that way of giving young people many ways to share what's going on. Yeah. Also what's critical in that too is I think also acknowledging that digital communication is tricky too you know it's it's not nef- necessarily a, a deficit to not ne- really get it it's actually it's incredibly ambiguous at the best of times and so this is an important skill for all of us to learn and share and the one thing that we get a lot that particularly young people working in this space will talk about is if you've got people you can share this stuff with to get second opinion, you know, get other eyes across it. And like you say, if you can use different ways of sharing that material to get some support, that can be great. Because what can look on the face of it as a very curt or threatening message may simply be a quickly penned out thing or something that was sarcastic and didn't get read sarcastically. It is an enormously challenging environment to read anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just as a tiny example, as a mum sending a text with a full stop on the end, you know, my daughter will respond with, why were you so grumpy? Because it's got a full stop on the end, you know, and you have no idea that use of, you know, symbols and emoticons and, you know, as teachers and parents trying to keep up with the play with that, to a certain extent, you know, one does one's best. But actually, you can't always know. So it's so actually creating those spaces using a myriad of different tools and resources and actually creating multiple opportunities for children and young people to share what's important to them and and the support that they need. I think that's great. And also what's, what's critical in that too is that finding a way to accept a certain level of of noise too within this space yeah and like and creating that sense because there can be quite a lot of panic for parents around is my child being cyber bullied when actually oh cyber bullying is you know repeated and tended to harm and it may not necessarily be those things it may simply be just as some really clumsy communication happening here yeah and that can but it's not until young people are supported to be able to share that in ways in ways that will work for them that we can kind of get to that place so yeah. i really i'm really appreciate your thoughts on this no it's, it's brilliant so just before we go there are some great resources online that would be good for for people to know about alongside the netsafe website there's childnet.com which is a fantastic uk resource and on there is something called the star toolkit for teachers which is um support for teachers working alongside students um, with ASD. There's also the antibullyingalliance.org.uk, which again, really fantastic doc. It focuses on cyberbullying, but it's again, it kind of looks at it through the lens of um, students with disabilities. And then also NetSafe has a great example of their kind of cyber safety resource in New Zealand Sign Language which is like kind of flagship resource. It's fantastic to see resources like that being made. So there's good stuff out there. You've been listening to a core education podcast, pushing the boundaries of educational possibility.